me the last few weeks with the patch on my eye. Uh, I just want to let you know that it's hard making a living as a pirate. It just didn't work out. Uh, but, you know, my eye is a lot better. I did have surgery. My eye is a lot better, but I do have a little bit of double vision, Pastor Scott. So if you want me to do the camp this morning, we, we, we can really. No, no double vision, but uh, the eye is getting better. Uh, Christmas. Seems like it, 2022 is just, it's already 2023, isn't it? Anyway, I wish it were like that. Uh, but, you know, as I said earlier, the uh, Advent season actually starts next Sunday. But if you've been in the stores, you know that the stores have been pushing Christmas on us for the last months. You know, and that bothers me. In fact, it bothered me so much that several years ago I wrote a poem I want to share with you, okay? Called Santa Was at the Mall Today. Santa Claus was at the mall today with an entourage of red fire trucks. You can get your picture taken with him for the price of a smile and 20 bucks. Boys and girls stand in line for hours just to sit on Santa's lap. Moms and dads are glad when it's over and go home for a long winter's nap. Each year it seems that Christmas comes sooner, forced upon our lives in every way. I don't mind Santa being in the mall, but couldn't he have waited till after Labor Day? Christmas is a time of good news, a time of celebration, a time for us to remember what the angels said to the shepherds on that night when they announced the birth. They said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Christmas, a time to rejoice, a time to celebrate, but not for everyone. You see, there's some that Christmas is more of a time of lament than it is a time to rejoice. It's a time when often it reminds people of those who will not be around the Christmas table this year for whatever reason. And even if the family members are present, there is always the danger of hard feelings and arguments. It's a time of year when it reminds some people of their dysfunctional families and their mistakes and the failures that they've made. You know, I come from a fairly dysfunctional family. Uh, I'm one of six children. Two of my siblings are alcoholics. One is doing well, one is not. I have two sisters that were both involved in abusive marriages and now are single. And my parents really didn't help the situation a whole lot. As loving as they were, my parents were basically enablers, enabling my siblings and my nieces and my nephews to take advantage of them at times. At times, my parents would loan would money to those siblings of mine and my nieces and my nephews, knowing that they would not get that money back. But they did it in such a way that they deprived themselves, even to the point of having to use their credit cards or take out a loan to make ends meet for that month. And my parents got older, it got worse. Both my parents lived in their home until they passed. 
my dad passed about two years before my mother. And in the final days of my mother living in the home, she could not care for herself, so brought in one of my nieces to help her. And it was a disaster because we had, we were concerned about elder abuse even. And in fact, social services got involved and they could not prove anything. And so my sister who lives about a mile from where my parents live, outside of Springfield, Missouri, 850 miles from here, so we couldn't be there very often. And uh, she would call. The first thing she would say is she would say, Greg, the crazy train's running again. The crazy train's running again. You see, I come from a dysfunctional family. But I got news for you, so do you. Every family is dysfunctional because every person in the world is dysfunctional. You're dysfunctional. I'm dysfunctional. The person you meet on the street is dysfunctional. Everybody is dysfunctional. How do I know that? Because God's Word tells me. Isaiah 64, 6 says, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. And Romans 3, 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But there is good news. There is good news. Because there are seven words that changes everything. And those seven words are, it doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be this way. You see, listen to what Jesus said to us in John's Gospel, chapter 10, verses 7 through 10. He said, so Jesus said to them again. Now, notice he said to them again. They didn't get it. I don't know how many times he said it, but at least they didn't get it one because he said it to him again. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Now, he's using an analogy here of a sheep pen that would protect the sheep, that would take care of them from harm. And Jesus said he's the door of the sheep pen. He said, all who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and might have it abundantly. You may be saying this morning, you know, I'm a Christian. I've accepted Christ as my Savior. I, I know that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven, but I don't think my life's very abundant right now. I think I'm maybe I may be on that crazy train. But remember those words, it doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be this way. So let me first make a disclaimer about this abundant life. The abundant life that Jesus promised has nothing, nothing to do with material possessions or financial wealth. It's all about the inner peace that we have. It's about Christ building our character within us so we become better persons. It's about having right and better relationships. So how do we move off of this crazy train to abundance? Well, let me share with you some things that might help us. First of all, we need to realize why we're dysfunctional. Let me remind you that we're all dysfunctional. Every one of us are dysfunctional. We're dysfunctional, but people don't like to admit it. People like to pretend that everything's okay. Just look at Facebook if you're on Facebook. People don't post the junk in their life. 
it posts all the smiles and the happiness and, and, and the birthdays and everybody having fun. And, but there's still dysfunction in there. It's what I call touched-up reality. And we live in a, a world of touched-up reality where people don't like to admit that they're dysfunctional. We're dysfunctional, though, because we are not functioning the way that God made us, the way that He created us to be. We're fallen creatures. We were made in the image of God. That's what Genesis 1.26 tells us, that God said, let us make Him in our man in our image. Let us make them male and female. And He created us in His image. But that image is broken. We look in the mirror, we don't see the image of God looking back at us. We see the junk in our life. We see the dysfunction in our life. So how do we get this way? How do we get this way? Well, let's pretend this morning. Let's pretend that we got a 1981 DeLorean. Anyone remember a 1981 DeLorean? Doc Brown has installed the 1.21 gigawatt capac- lux capacitor in it, and we've set it for the Garden of Eden. And zap, we're back, and we jump, land right in the middle of Eve having a discussion with Satan. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw the tree was beautiful and the fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and she ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And at that moment, their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. Shame at their nakedness. The story goes on. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, a man and his wife heard the Lord God walking in the garden. So they hid from the Lord among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? I was afraid. I heard you walking in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree for the fruit I command you not to eat? The man replied, It was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit. Then the Lord God asked the woman, What have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. I mean, I don't know where you remember the old Flip Wilson thing, but the devil made me do it. That's what Eve said. We've been making excuses ever since for our dysfunction. And so, first of all, we need to realize and call our dysfunction what it is. Sin. Sin. We can't make excuses for it because we're sinners, we're fallen people. But Jesus came so they might have an abundant life. They might have an abundant life. But, you know, I think many Christians are kind of living out the old hymn, The Sweet By and By. And I don't know whether you remember that hymn where you sung it growing up or everything, but let me share with you the lyrics. There is a land that's fairer than day, and by faith we can see it afar. For the Father waits over there to prepare a dwelling place for us. In a sweet by and by we shall meet on that beautiful shore, and the sweet by and by we shall meet by the beautiful shore. You see, it's true if we accept Jesus, that someday we're going to heaven. Someday we're going to spend eternity with him. But you see, God didn't intend for us just to hang out in holy huddles 
until we die. You see, He came, Jesus came, we might have abundant life day to day right here. But the question is just, how do we have that abundant life? And what does it look like once we have it? Well, the first thing we need to do is we need to understand the complete gospel. Listen to what Jesus said in Mark 1, 14 and 15. Later on, after John was arrested, that was John the Baptist, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. Now, that good news, we translate gospel, but it simply means good news. The Greek word just means good news. Now, we have linked that to Jesus coming and dying on the cross for us. But it simply means good news. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. I think probably most people in this room have accepted Jesus as Savior. Now, if you haven't done that yet, I would highly encourage you to do that, to investigate that, to talk to Pastor Scott, to talk to me, some of the elders in the church, or whoever, about doing that. But but most of us, I'm assuming, have accepted Jesus as Savior. And and we we know what the gospel is, but do we? Does, Does this sound familiar? God loves you, but you're a sinner separated from God. However, your sins can be forgiven, and when you die, you'll go to heaven and not go to hell. That's 100% true. But I believe it falls short of what the complete good news is. You see, I believe we've shortened or truncated the gospel. We've accepted Christ as Savior, and, and we know what our eternal place is going to be, our eternal security is going to be, but what about right now? What about right now? The gospel message, the complete gospel message, do I understand it, is that God became a human and dwelt among us so we might enter into a real relationship with Him and have an abundant life right now and someday message is that God came, became human and dwelt among us so that we might enter into a real relationship with Him and have an abundant life right now and someday spend eternity with Him in heaven. You see, Jesus not only came to defeat evil and death and pay the penalty for our sins, He came to be an example for us to live by. That's what the Gospels are all about. They're about showing Jesus as an example of how to live. God became a human being in the form of Jesus, and he lived the way that we were created to live, made in his image. Apostle Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 3, 16 and 8 through 18. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, is freedom. So all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. 
a future image. That's not a future thing he's talking about there. He's talking about right now making us more and more like him so we're changed in his glorious name. So you see, the gospel is not only about conversion, it's about transformation. Being transformed into the image that God created us to. So here is what I believe is the full definition of the gospel. I said it earlier. The gospel is the good news that every person can have their sins forgiven and live a life being transformed into the likeness of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. So you see, if we accept that Jesus, He's not only forgiven our sins, we are to be continually transformed into His likeness. But how does that happen? How do we do that? How, how do we get from where we are to daily being transformed into the image of Christ? Well, let's look at the disciples. Jesus called the twelve disciples, apostles, if you will, to be his apprentices, to be with him 24-7, to walk with him, to talk with him, to observe him, to watch him heal people and teach people, to ask him questions. Wouldn't that be cool if we could do that? <laughs> Wouldn't it be cool if we could have been there, walking with Jesus, hanging around the campfire with him, asking him questions? But, physically present. But he's given us the Holy Spirit. In John 16, 7, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. The Helper being the Holy Spirit. But if I go, I will send him to you. So how does this work in our day-to-day -day life? Let me give you four things that we need to do, I think, enter into this abundant life and, and, and be transformed to the image of Christ. The first is to abide in Christ. Jesus said in John 15, 4 and 5, Abide in me and I abide in you, just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit because apart from me you can do nothing. The word that's used there for abide is a Greek word meno. And it means to remain, continue, to stay, to dwell, to live with. And it means that we are to invite Jesus to move into our lives as an honored guest. Now, when somebody comes to a guest in your home, do you just take him back to your guest room back there and say, okay, here's the guest room. It's got a good bed in it. It's got actually a, a nice, comfortable lounge chair, and, and it's got all kinds of books, and it's got a TV, and uh, we'll see you later. Is that how you treat guests that come into your home? Oh, and if we need you, we'll, you know, come on out. We'll have you come out. That's the way a lot of people teach you, treat Jesus. They invite him in, but then they put him in a little back room back there, and, uh, Maybe Sunday morning they'll take him out, take him to go to church. Maybe, well, maybe even when they sit down at a table, they come and say, hey, Lord, we're going to say a, a prayer here. We want you to be a part of this now. Or maybe they get into some kind of, uh, you know, problem or some kind of issue or some kind of uh, thing in their life that, that they just can't figure out. And they say, okay, Lord, come out and help us, help us work with this and everything. But as soon as that happens, they put him back in that room. 
That's not the way Jesus wants us. He wants us to abide in Him, to remain in Him, to spend time with Him, to invite Him to go everywhere we go, to invite Him to sit on the couch with us and watch what we watch on TV, to invite Him to to go with us to uh, the entertainment places we go, invite us to, to be involved in the relationships that we have. We want to take Him everywhere we go. That's what it means to abide in Him. But in that process, we also need to listen to the Holy Spirit. That John passage we talked about earlier when He promised the Spirit, in 16, verse 13 through 14, He says, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you in all truth, and He will not speak of His own authority, but whenever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, see, when we become Christians, when we invite Christ into our life, when we make that faith relationship with, with Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and resides in us. Don't ask me how that happens. Because it's way beyond my pay grade. But God's Spirit comes to reside in us. And is a part of us. And when He does that, the things that He does in our life there are a lot of things that he does, but three very important ones is first, he convicts us of our sin and false thinking. Whenever we do something that God does not like, the Holy Spirit says, nah, he's done something God doesn't like. Whenever we start thinking about things that we shouldn't be thinking about in the ways we should be thinking about, the Holy Spirit says, no, that's false thinking. But the Holy Spirit also illuminates God's truth through his word. The Holy Spirit who shows us what God's word is. Paul says that it's foolishness to the world. And it is. It is. That God could become a man and be both God and man at the same time is foolishness to the world. But the Holy Spirit illuminates us and shows us it's not foolishness and everything else to send God's word. But then, this is the cruel part. Spirit empowers us to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. But in order to do that, we have to know God's truth. John 8, 1, excuse me, John 8, 31, 32, Jesus said, if you abide in my word, that's that word abide again, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you how do we know God's truth? By spending time in His Word. By reading His Word. But let me show you a danger here. We need to read God's Word more than just for information. We need to read God's Word for transformation. As one author put it, we need to let God's Word read us. What do I mean by that? I mean, when we read the Word, we need to let the Word convict us. We need to let the Word teach us. We need to let the Word show us that something is different here than where I'm thinking. Or it lines up with what I'm thinking. It's the truth of God's Word. And you know, sometimes the truth of God's Word is hard, isn't it? We don't like what it says. It reminds me of a podcast I listened to a few weeks ago. 
Dr. Russell Moore, who is the uh, editor-in-chief of Christianity Today, said that he got an email from one of his listeners. And uh, it, was a, it was a pastor. And this pastor was distraught because the pastor was preaching on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount out of Matthew. And that particular Sunday, he preached on, Turn the other cheek and love your enemies. And he had one of his church members come up to him afterwards, a very faithful church member. And the man got right in his face, and he says, Pastor, where in the world did you get those liberal talking points? And he said, those are the words of Jesus, right out of the Bible. And the man says, well, that may have worked in Jesus' day, but it sure doesn't work today. It's hard sometimes for us to obey God's Word. So we not only need to know it, we need to live God's truth. James 1.21, a very familiar passage, says, Be ye doers of the Word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. We have to do more than just know it. We have to put it into practice in our lives. We have to live it out. We have to, to use the power of the Holy Spirit for God to let us obey what His Word says. So we abide in Christ, we listen to the Holy Spirit, we know the, God's truth, and we live out God's truth. Well, when we begin to do that, what happens in our life? What happens in our life? Well, we begin to experience the complete gospel. We begin to, begin to experience this transformation of us becoming more and more like Jesus. Are we ever going to be like Jesus? No. But we ought to be able to look back at our life last year, last month, last week, and say, you know, I'm a little bit more like Jesus than I was. Not in a prideful way, but in a way that God is transforming me to live with the image that He has created me. And so when we experience that, several things happen. First of all, we experience a powerful life. Ephesians 1, 19, 20. It's one of my favorite verses out of the Bible. Paul says, I pray also that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in Him. The greatness of God's power for us who believe in Him. But then he goes on to say, this is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated Him at the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. You disposal, resurrection power to do the will of God. Let me paraphrase what I think Paul is saying here. He's saying here is that God has given us the Holy Spirit in order that we might not know what pleases Him, but He might empower us to do what pleases Him. What pleases God? We experience this, this power. But you know what? Very often, we say, no, God, it's just too hard. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm going to do it my way. But if we do say yes, if we do say yes to the Lord, we're given power through the Holy Spirit to do it. We can't do it on our own. I can't love my neighbors on my own. I can't love my enemies on my own. I can't love the way that God wants me to on my own. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that He allows me to do that. 
I can't say no to the, the sins that, that are my life and my thought life. Ill feelings towards someone. Hatred towards someone. I, I can't control that by myself. I can try, but I'll never will. I just have to allow the Holy Spirit when I say, yes, God, show me, teach me, empower me to do your will. Also, as we begin to live this complete gospel, we experience a joyful life in Christ. John 17, 13, what we call the great high priestly prayer that Jesus prayed to God the Father and let his, his disciples listen in on. It says in verse 13, Now I'm coming to you. Talking to God the Father, he says, Now I'm coming to you. I told them many things. Talked about his disciples. I told them many things while I was with them in this world, so you may so they would be filled with my joy. I told them many things while I was with them in this world, so they may be filled with my joy. Now, this is a counterintuitive statement for most people. Most people think that if we obey God's commandments, and live like God desires, it'd be anything but joy. It'll be drudgery. It'll be terrible. So let me see if I can illustrate this to you, okay? If you're taking notes, take your pen or your pencil and put it in your other hand. If you're not taking notes, pretend that you are and put your uh, pencil, pretend pencil or pen in your non-dominant hand. Now, there are few people that are totally ambidextrous, but those people are very few. So I want you to take your non-dominant hand and I want you to write the quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog. It, it, you know, you probably couldn't understand what you wrote. Why? Because God created you with the dominant hand. And just like God created you to live like Jesus, being transformed into the image of Christ, obeying God's Word is not discouraging. It's not drudgery. It's joy because we're living the way God created us to live. We're living in the image of God that He created us with. When we are obedient, when we allow Holy Spirit to empower us, but we can also experience a confidence First John 4, 16 and 17. John says this. He says, We know how much God has loved us. And we have put our trust in His love. God is love. Very familiar passage. God is love. And all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. Well, listen to this last sentence. So we will not be afraid day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence. Why? Because we live like Jesus here in this world. We can face God with confidence because we live like Jesus in this world. You see, there's three levels of confidence I think he's talking about here. One is confidence in the midst of my dysfunction today. Because I'm living like God desires me to live, in the power of the Holy Spirit, I can have a confident life today. But also I can have a confident life tomorrow because I don't have to worry. 
If I'm living the way God wants me to live, I'm living like God wants me to live, I don't have to worry. I don't have to worry thinking about, oh, gosh, you know, I <laughs> I kind of embellished the truth there, told a little white lie. Now I've got to remember exactly what I told. Or I said something that wasn't very nice to that person. Are they going to get revenge on me? I mean, we, we, we don't, when we live God can just do. There's confidence in living today, but there's also constant living tomorrow because we don't have to worry about tomorrow. But there's, there's confidence in the day of judgment because we live like Jesus here in this world. You see, I want to challenge you this morning to embrace the complete gospel as I understand it. Not just think about when I die, I'm going to go to heaven, but think about day in and day out through the Holy Spirit, through understanding God's Word, through obeying God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit, that I can become more and more like Jesus and become more and more pleasing to God as I live each day, getting closer and closer to Him, closer and closer to what He wants me to be. You see, when we walk out of this building today, there's going to be all kinds of people and all kinds of people, all kinds of things that are going to yell to us, all aboard! Crazy train running! And it's very easy just to step on that crazy train and let your life go on. But Jesus said, I have come that you might have life, that I might have life, and that we might have this morning by praying a prayer for all of us. A prayer I think that expresses what God wants us to do each and every day of our life. So if you'd bow with me, please. Lord, show us how to passionately seek you, run hard after you, lean full into you, rely totally upon you that we might live each day as a sacrifice to you. Help us to rejoice when you rejoice, grieve when you grieve, and love like you love. Help us, Lord, today to live as you created us, made in your image. Amen. Appreciate that, Lord. Bless the self.